0: Welcome to On The Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buker.
1: This is On The Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA and that is here all right so before i get on to the actual podcast I do want to point out that I just had a piece come out on Fox Sports app on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com about where or what i'm hearing from executives on where KD will and should end up next season. Go check it out, if you will. As I've mentioned before here, I'm not much on talking about what kind of pros draft picks are going to be going into the draft. I know people in the league who spend years tracking and assessing these young men. So it would not only be arrogant, but foolish of me to think that I can watch a few performances or highlight clips, workouts, even NCAA tournament games and know how their talent is going to translate or not to the next level. So I go the microwave route. I wait until I can see them in Summer League, which this year began last last week in Salt Lake City. The first night of action... I caught the Memphis Grizzlies against the Philadelphia 76ers and the Oklahoma City Thunder taking on the home team, Utah Jazz. Now, a few observations before I get to the primary topic of this episode, which is my first impression or impressions of seeing number 2 pick, the Thunder's ultra-skinny, scarily-skinny Chet Holmgren. One, I was blown away by the diversity of the Grizzlies' coaching staff. There was an older woman who appeared to be Indian or maybe Pakistani, or at least a woman who appeared older because of the white streaks in her hair, and she kept referring to and providing information from a leather notebook. Uh, and there were two younger women. I'm not sure what their roles were. There was Vitali Potopenko, who's a former NBA player in Ukrainian. And, of course, Grizzlies assistant coach David McClure leading the way. They also had about uh, 17 or 18 people sitting either on or behind the bench uh, in total. There were more personnel than there were players. And I was told that apparently favors can be handed out where people are listed as summer league assistant coaches. And it helps them land jobs overseas or in college or wherever. It's kind of a a feather uh, or a perk to add to their resume. And that some teams hand them out, uh, give people an opportunity to add that to their resume and get the access of seeing what a NBA Summer League team looks like, how it operates, etc. So apparently the Grizzlies are taking that to the nth degree because I've never seen that many people in team issued uh, polo shirts sitting on or around or behind a team bench now that said when it comes to the staff itself i have no idea what all that diversity will produce if it's respectable spectacle if it's just being pc or it's accessing some previously untapped resource it was just startling to sit behind the bench and see it up close and in action. And maybe someday it will become the norm. We shall see. Uh, As I mentioned, there was also all the people sitting in Grizzlies team-issued light blue polar shirts. And by count, um, I believe there were were 18 or 19, while there were 15 players. All right, as for draft picks other than Chet, that I saw or noticed. Philly's David Roddy has a vet's presence about him, which is not surprising seeing he's 21, which is old for a rookie. Solid fundamentals, reads the game. When it comes to body type or physique, think PJ Tucker. He can move for 6'5" and 260, but I don't know if he moves well enough for the next level. In general, Older rookies or guys who spent a year in the G League or playing overseas look at least a level, if not two levels, above almost all rookies except for the very best. And I hesitate simply because of what we saw from Paolo Bancaro, who played at his pace, was running the show, very impressive in what he did. Uh, And in any case, that disparity between the guys who have had experience overseas or in the G League may be even more uh, stark because this draft class has had its development affected more than, or hindered, I should say, by COVID-19 restrictions than any other draft class. Uh, That said, there are some guys I initially had doubts about That have been impressive one is Jaden Ivey prior to spraining his ankle I knew he had a pro body and pro moves from watching him at Purdue but I wasn't sure how he'd fit in the the vibe and the chemistry of the Purdue team there was something off and Jaden did not seem particularly connected to his teammates Now, it's a small sample size, and fitting in with summer league teammates for a week or two isn't the same as a college season or seven months with older guys slogging through 82 games, which is what he's going to face next. But I'm going to reserve judgment for now. He gave up the ball when a teammate was open, and although he made sure the entire gym knew he'd thrown the dime by preening as he backpedaled on defense, at least he gave it up. Uh, Benedict Mathurin, not so much. The dude is looking to score every time he touches it, and it will be interesting to see how his love affair with mid-range pull-up jumpers sits with Pacers coach Rick Carlisle, particularly if he doesn't hit them at a higher percentage than I saw him hitting them. But I'm also going to cut Mathurin some slack for now. Uh, I, I, I got on him. I chided him here on the podcast for... Foolishly saying LeBron James would have to prove he was better than him. I'm going to take it as his way of saying that he wouldn't be intimidated by anyone. It was a clumsy way to do it. Because it sounded as if he felt LeBron would have to earn his respect. And by saying LeBron would have to do so, he was essentially saying the entire league would have to prove themselves better. I don't think he meant that because when asked during Summer League who he hoped to model his game after, he said Jalen Brown and Jimmy Butler. Now, if Matherin was as arrogant as his statement about LeBron suggested, he would have said no one, that he was going to be Benedict Matherin, and one day players would be modeling their games off of his. Those role models, by the way, also explain his shot selection. Now, what I do like about him is he can score and he can defend and he's willing to get into a stance, fight over screens, and he's got clearly an NBA, an NBA body. Um, and I should say, he was willing to get into a stance and fight over screens in Las Vegas. Everybody's playing a little bit over their heads because this is the first time
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than
1: 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now for Chet Holmgren. The 195-pound, 7-footer, drafted second overall by the Thunder. Let me start by saying he's perfect for Oklahoma City. Growing up in small-town Minnesota, going to school in Spokane at Gonzaga, he will be perfectly comfortable in Oklahoma City. His general demeanor fits as well. He clearly doesn't expect star treatment. I met his parents by happenstance before Chet's first game in Las Vegas. I heard overheard them asking if there was a seating section for parents and recognized his dad, Dave Holmgren, who's built very much like him has a ponytail a very distinctive look and i don't know if it's typical small town minnesota attitude or the result of a dad who has been bombarded with people looking to exploit his son but when i introduced myself and told him where to go and who to ask for about the seating his response was surprisingly gruff like no smile only a terse thanks. I introduced myself to his to Chet's mom as well, and she was pretty much the same. Now, when I walked by Dave later and asked if they had taken care of him, he looked kind of startled. Yeah, he said, thanks. Again, no smile, terse tone. Who knows what that's all about? But it made me wonder if that was what one GM was referring to when he said Chet's dad was something else. In any case, that's not Chet. He already has developed a friendship with Josh Giddy, the Thunder's second-year point forward, and when he wasn't on the floor, he was enthusiastically leading celebrations of what his teammates were doing on the floor. Stroking his upraised arm after a made three, giving the referee signal for an offensive charge, tapping his head on a dunk, etc., Now, maybe it's because of his height and ultra-long skinny limbs, but his histrionics were hard to miss, and they, as I said, seemed really enthusiastic. He was into it. He's also, from the few media interactions I've seen, seems to be pretty good as far as that's concerned as well. I asked him directly after his first game, the announcer in Salt Lake, uh, mistook him for uh, Pokashevsky, uh, one of his teammates, and twice on shots made, basket by Pokashevsky. And I asked him afterward, and he, you know, some guys would have been taking that as a sign of disrespect or might have been a little put off by it or would have said, I'm going to make sure that they know my name the next time I come through here. But he took it as a joke because that's my, that's my twin, probably not the last time it's going to happen all of that i took as good signs in terms of the general demeanor and approach and how it's going to fit in oklahoma city so general synopsis the assessments of how he played in salt lake city and his first appearance in las vegas were all off by the way if you read or saw them elsewhere at least based on the general assessments And that's mostly by how SportsCenter and ESPN broadcasters portrayed them. He wasn't great in his first game. He had great stats. Let's keep in mind, they came against the Utah Jazz. One of the worst summer league teams I've seen in quite some time. He was also matched up against Taco Fall. Mostly making threes over him with Taco afraid to guard him at the arc. Which chet quickly picked up on and just as an aside it there's something troubling about the fascination with taco fall from fans the utah jazz fans did the same thing Uh, the next night when he did not play and they were chanting taco taco they wanted to see him in the game why i honestly i have no idea he is a spectacle, but he's simply not. He's big, he's good-natured, he can't play. He has no post game, He's slow defensively. It's He's a big guy, and that's really all he is, which is why you've seen him bounce around the league at this point. Guys that size, people are always going to look to see if maybe he can turn the corner and do something. But to this point... I've seen enough of him to know that I don't see him ever hanging on to any particular team. Now, Chet also had six blocked shots, but that was mostly, and apparently that and the number of three pointers are the most that a player has ever had in those two categories in summer league history. Sometimes the statistical anomalies or benchmarks that we take and present as being meaningful are just kind of goofy. And this is an example of that. He had the six blocked shots mostly because the Jazz seemed oblivious to the fact that he's got a seven foot six wingspan or his reputation as a shot blocker, which preceded him. I'm not sure that they had an accurate scouting report, or at least it didn't seem that way, because they made no attempt to get their shots off quick or add any sort of angle to avoid his reach. The Grizzlies did a much better job the next night, and Chet only had two blocked shots, both on hurried attempts to beat the shot clock late in the second half. Now, he's going to be a rim protector, there's no question but I don't know that he's going to set a record for block shots. He has good instincts, but he's just a touch slow on rotation by NBA standards. Or his leap, I should say, is is a little slow. Just his reaction time. Takes him a little bit to unfold himself and, and get to the ball. Nor was there reason for alarm concerning Chet when he didn't have the same box score the next night and undrafted Kenny Lofton Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies outscored him. Lofton is one of those players that does not look like he even belongs in an NBA court. He's baby-faced, downright chubby. He's sort of Zion Williamson without the crazy hops or explosive first step. But there's a reason he was the leading scorer over both Holmgren and Jaden Ivey on a gold medal-winning under-19 U.S. national team. The dude knows how to get his shot and score. There's a reason he broke all of Carl Malone's scoring records at LSU. He's been playing against guys faster and with more vertical his entire life, and he's figured out how to use his girth, his left-handedness, his touch and his spatial awareness to get shots up and in in a variety of ways. He went undrafted, I suspect, because cleverness can only get you so far. And he's probably going to struggle finding a position he can defend at the NBA level. But he came into the game against the Thunder and Chet, both with the fearlessness of someone who has played with Chet for four years in the national program and the chip that comes from being undrafted despite having played with him for four years in the national program. The Thunder weren't going to run plays for Chet to attack Lofton. There was not like, we got to prove our guy's better than Lofton. That wasn't even consideration. It kind of was the other way. The Grizzlies were happy to let Lofton eat against Chet. Now, same goes for Chet's first Las Vegas game in which he faced Jabari. There were a couple of one-on-one situations where Jabari got the better of him, drove on him for a bucket, picked him on a drive, ripped a rebound away from him. On each one, the difference in athleticism between the two was on full display. But the way Jabari played overall is exactly why GM Sam Presti went with Chet even after Orlando surprised everyone by taking Boncaro and not Jabari with the number one pick. Jabari took 19 shots in 26 minutes against the Thunder, making only five. He took nine three-pointers, making only two. He did not shoot a single free throw. Now compare that to Holmgren, who was 6-for-6 on the line and took only one three to match Jabari in points with 12, despite nine fewer shots. By all appearances Jabari was out there to prove he should have been the number two pick if not the number one and instead he confirmed why neither Orlando nor OKC went with him. Now I think he has a chance to be very good maybe even the best of all three because of that superior athleticism. But his game as of right now is unrefined and I'm not convinced that his mind is right. There were stretches when his presence on the floor was not even noticeable. I'd have to hunt to think, is, is Jabari still out there? Sometimes he was, sometimes he wasn't. The Rockets don't play run plays through him the way Orlando does or did with a ban- a Bancaro and Maybe more important, his presence on the defensive end is not as consistent as Holmgren's. Oppon- opponents have to be aware of where Holmgren is anytime they get into the paint, and they are. And while Jabari certainly can block shots, he hasn't learned yet how to discourage shots even when he's not swatting them or without fouling. He hasn't found that way to make his presence known. So that a guy coming into the paint realizes that Jabari is there and he's in position to come over and swat it. Now, I love Jabari's mid-range jumper. It's pure as any I've seen among this draft class's big men. But launching threes is not what the Rockets need from him and is not taking advantage of what he does best. If he is going to help Houston this season, he needs to model himself after Cleveland's Evan Mobley, not Julius Randle or Carl Anthony Towns. Now I can't help but get the sense that Presti, after seeing Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony all come and go in the last few years, I can't help but think that he's giving added weight to players who aren't going to look to leave OKC as soon as they achieve any measure of success. I can't help but think that what I picked up on Chet being perfect for Oklahoma City is something that Presti also saw. And my understanding is he's been watching watching Chet since he was 16 years old. So this is not news in terms of what Chet's background is. If he's been watching him since 16, probably been to that little town in Minnesota. And he, look, he certainly did Chet a favor by having Josh Giddy play summer league, something guys who are full-time starters and play 30 minutes a night as rookies generally don't do. It gave Oklahoma City a floor general that Jabari did not have with Houston. Now, Bancaro didn't either, but he was the floor general. Giddy is a solid point forward, and he found all kinds of ways to take the pressure off Holmgren, and the rest of the Thunder in need situations while also finding ways to get the ball to Chet in places he could go to work. Now, their chemistry shouldn't be surprising considering that when Holmgren arrived in Oklahoma City immediately after the draft, my understanding is that Giddy is the one who picked him up and Holmgren said he wanted to go straight to the gym where they played one-on-one. Where Giddy says Holmgren beat him. That's when he gained, or started to gain, his respect. In two parts: one, that they landed, and he immediately wanted to go to the gym; and two, they had the kind of game he could beat a uh, an experienced or guy who's already spent a, a a year in the NBA as a starter, being able to beat him one on one. Both in Salt Lake City and Las Vegas, Chet and Giddy checked in and out of games almost in unison. And that wasn't by accident. Some reporters seem surprised that Holmgren was given the freedom to rebound the ball and lead the break. But in a summer league setting, that's the best way to get him opportunities and to make sure he stayed involved. And Chet rewarded their trust by showing he was enough of a team player that he wasn't looking to score every time he brought it up. That might have been different if Giddy wasn't out there. But clearly... He understood that Giddy was the guy running the show and he should defer. Now, if there wasn't anything in transition when Chet brought it up, he'd hand it off to a guard or Giddy and immediately set a screen and get them into their half court offense. I had my doubts about Holmgren because, in spite of his talent, Gonzaga coach Mark Few didn't trust him in big situations. In many of them, he wouldn't even leave him on the floor. I assume that was because he was worried Chet would try to take over or do something on his own. But I saw none of that with Oklahoma City. I believe now that what Few was doing was simply the reflex of a typical college coach, which is to trust his upperclassmen more. One pro scout seeing Chet for the first time in Salt Lake City believes that he is going to struggle. The teams are going to force him to defend bigger, stronger centers and pound away at him. I'm sure they will. To a point. The reality is, the NBA game is no longer played that way. It's too slow. And there aren't that many bigs who are good enough for a team to live off a steady diet of that style of play. There are assuredly going to be nights that Holmgren looks overmatched. But what I appreciated about what I saw is that he never stopped playing. He never let a missed shot impact how hard he played defensively. If anything, it seemed to inspire him to work harder at that end to make up for it. That is a very good trait and a very good sign. All in all, I liked what I saw from Holmgren. As long as he doesn't get injured, he's not going to be a bust by any stretch. He's going to make the Thunder a better team, and he's going to do it for a long time. And when you're Oklahoma City, that is plenty. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I'm planning to take a long, hard look at James Wiseman. He has an upcoming game with the Golden State Warriors. He's finally played. That's what I was looking forward to most when it came to Summer League and the Warriors. We may get into that, also may get into some of the background, some of the stuff I couldn't include in my piece about Kevin Durant and where he may be headed, and explain maybe why he is not valued or does not seem to be valued. The market for him seems to be a little stagnant. There are plenty of reasons uh, for that, not all of which are being fully explained out there. So, either Wiseman or KD will be the subject of the next podcast, I think. Stay tuned. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.